Man, am I going to miss that video next week. I love that Mission Impossible, and that's, that's great. I appreciate uh, Michael doing that for us. Uh, we've been in a series for several weeks. Last week, I kind of took a break. Uh, we had Ozark Christian College here, and uh, if you were with us last week, you got to hear from Bob Witte, and if you didn't get to uh, hear that last week, great message. Um, I, I want you to go online and check that out. Uh, we had also guest worship from Ozark Christian College's Frontline. It was a great, great week, and that's why you don't want to miss a week, Right. Don't want to miss a week. You just, you just never know uh, what God's going to do week to week here. And we've been in this series for a couple weeks. We're going to conclude it today called Minority Report. And just to uh, jog, uh, take you back just a few weeks, uh, we were in Numbers 13 and Numbers 14 in the Old Testament, and we were talking about the spies that went to spy out Canaan. When, when God had given them the promised land, and what did God say to them? He said, go. Right? Just go take the land. It's yours. I'm giving it to you. I brought you out of Egypt, out of slavery. I've taken you on the wilderness re- trek over here. Go into the land. And they said, oh, wait, we're going we're gonna to go uh, scope out a route. That's what we're going to do. And so they had what? They had 12 men, one representing every tribe of the Israelites. All 12 tribes had one representative. And those spies went into Canaan. And when they came back, they gave a report And 10 of the reports were, the land is good, but we can't take it. There's giants there. We're scared. We're not sure God is with us. And so we we better wait. And two of them came back and said, the land is good. It's flowing with milk and honey, just as the Lord said. And we can take it because God's on our side. And he says, that's our land. Let's go. 10 gave a bad report. And two, the minority, gave a good report. Well, you know, as we studied through that story, what ended up happening. And now we're going to come to today, the final part of this series. And we're actually going to end this series, Minority Report, in the New Testament. We're actually going to be in the New Testament today. And you may think, well, that's kind of weird. And today, there's a lot of parallels to our story. There were 12 spies, and 10 were bad, and 2 were good. And today, we're going to talk about 12 disciples, closest friends and followers of Jesus, and how there was one that took a risk on faith and got out of the boat to follow Jesus. We'll be talking about that today. If you would, turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 14. Matthew chapter 14, we're going to begin there with verse 22. If you don't have your Bible this morning, you're always welcome to follow along on your phone or your tablet. If you download the Oakwood app, just search for Oakwood Enid. Download the app, all the sermon notes and all the scriptures are right there for you. But if you're old school like me, get out your Bible. And there's also one should be in the seat there around you. Grab that and turn that to Matthew's Gospel, the first book of the New Testament, chapter 14. Let me give you a little bit of background into what is happening in our context today. If you read Matthew's Gospel, you know it's written to a Jewish audience primarily. And what Matthew's been doing since the beginning is he's been validating Jesus and showing us who he really is as the Messiah and as the absolute Son of God. It starts out with these genealogies in Matthew and it's showing that he's from the line of David. He's fulfilling all these prophecies. And then Matthew begins bit by bit and piece by piece to show us the power of this Jesus And you get into uh, the passage just before our text today, and it's actually a story that a lot of people have heard of. It's when Jesus feeds the 5,000. And actually, if you read this in all the gospel accounts, one of those accounts says at the end that that the 5,000 was just counting the men. It wasn't including the women and children there. Most Bible scholars believe that Jesus fed 25,000 people. And if you know the story, it was on five loaves of bread and two fish. And Jesus blessed it and multiplied it, and, and it was just miraculous, miraculous thing. 
When you read John's gospel of this same story about feeding the 5,000, it actually says at the end of that story that the people were so excited at the power that Jesus had shown them that they wanted to make Jesus king by force. They, they were ready to, to, to overthrow Rome and the occupation in their land, to make Jesus king over Israel. The people were ready. They said, let's go. And it's on the heels of all that that we get to our story today in Matthew chapter 14 and verse 22. Let's read this together. It says this, immediately after feeding the 5,000 and all that had happened that evening, immediately Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. So they're getting in this boat, and they're on the Sea of Galilee, also referred to in Scripture sometimes as Lake Gennesaret. And they're on this lake, and it's amazing when you read a story like this, because I heard this story like in Sunday school when I was a kid. You know, this isn't some new, new story. If you're looking at your subheading, you know the story is already, right? Jesus walks on the water. I've, I've, I've heard that story before. But it's amazing how I can study it as a child. I probably encountered this story two or three times in my teenage years. I go to Bible college. I encountered this story there. I study it. I've actually preached this passage before in my ministry. I preached it to youth. It's amazing how every time I read it, there's something else I noticed. And in, in preparing for today's message, what I noticed this time that was a little different was verse 22. It just jumped out at me. It says, immediately, Jesus made the disciples. And I was like, made the disciples? Let's go back to the Greek, to the original language. What does that word mean? That word means forced. That means he drove them to it. He compelled them to it. He made the disciples go ahead. And if you think about it, I mean, Jesus just fed 5,000. You're experiencing his power. The crowds are like, make him king, make him king. I'm sure the disciples as his best buddies and hanging out with him were like, yeah, he's coming into his own. I mean, who knows what's going to happen now? We've got 25,000 people wanting to make him king. I mean, this is good. Yes, and Jesus says, okay, I want you to go on ahead. I need some time alone. Go on ahead in the boat across the lake. He, hey, the scripture is telling us the truth there. He made them go ahead. He made them go ahead. And look what Jesus does then. He, he makes them go ahead to the other side, and then notice Jesus dismisses the crowd because the crowd wants to stay with him too. He dismisses Christ and says, hey, go home. The crowds, they were following him for all the wrong reasons. You might see a miracle. I mean, people are doing miracles today. They probably attract a crowd, right? You know, you might get a free supper out of the deal, free lunch, you know. So but he dismisses the crowd. And then verse 23 says, and after he had dismissed them, he went up on the mountainside by himself to pray. This is Jesus's pattern. Do ministry with the crowds and withdraw and be alone with the heavenly father. And after he had dismissed those crowds and sent his disciples on ahead in a boat across the lake, he went up on the mountainside by himself to pray. And later that night, he was there alone. And the boat was already a considerable distance from land, probably about four or five miles out. And it was buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. So this is a, this is a little boat. They're going into the wind. They've got the oars, and, and my goodness, they've been fighting it, and they're out in the middle somewhere, and they're pulling on the oars. The wind's against them. The waves are blowing into the boat, and it's a hard going, and I'm sure they're, they're exhausted. They're tired. Verse 25, shortly before dawn, Jesus went to them walking on the lake. In true son of God fashion, right? I mean, walking on the lake. Pretty, pretty cool deal. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, 
They were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and they cried out in fear. Some of them like, did that really happen like that? I mean, you know, you got 12 guys. Some of these guys are fishermen. I mean, these are burly guys. You know, they got beards and chest hair and they're strong, you know. And, and it says, you know, in the middle of the, you know, they're going to be like, oh, it's a ghost. But think about the context here. They've been doing ministry all day with Jesus. They feed the crowds. And if you remember the rest of the story, there was leftover food. They got the leftover food. They didn't want to put it away, so they distribute that. They want to hang out with Jesus. Jesus says, go get in the boat and start rowing, bro. And and, then here they are. They're out in the middle of the lake. And and notice that it says in verse 25, shortly before dawn. Okay, so let's say 5 a.m. These guys have been at it all day the day before and all night. No sleep, no rest. They're exhausted physically. They're exhausted mentally. They're probably exhausted a little bit emotionally as they've been fighting these waves and this wind all night. Yeah, perhaps... In the midst of it all, in the splashing of the water around, they look off and they're like, oh my goodness. Because they've never seen anybody walk on water, you know? It's like, somebody, uh, it's a ghost. I mean, yeah, this, this, could, this could really happen. Verse 27 says, but Jesus said to them, take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. And Peter, one of the disciples, he says this, Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, Tell me to come to you on the water. Come, Jesus said. And then Peter got down out of the boat and walked on the water and came toward Jesus. He's moving toward Jesus. Verse 30. But when he saw the wind, again, something jumped out at me there. Saw the wind. How do you see wind exactly? I mean, if you came into church just in the last, you know, 20 minutes or so, you know, there's a little bit of wind outside, but I don't see the wind you know I mean you can see the effects of the wind you know I see a leaf blow or something move trees waving but it says that he saw the wind I I believe the wind was so sharp and so strong and carried so much water off the lake with it I mean you know what that looks like if you've ever experienced it he saw the wind he was afraid I, I don't know if you've ever been on a boat and been out when the seas or the lakes or the oceans are choppy but that gets your attention folks I know I shared that story about a few years ago. Uh, me and my family, we were over in Arkansas. We were on Table Rock Lake. And if you've ever been to Table Rock, you know there's these cliffs. And, and what had happened is a quick little thunderstorm popped up and, and started pushing wind out. The outflow from the storm was pushing wind out. And it was going down the little channels, down little valleys. And yeah, it could get a little, little dicey there. It was, you know, we look back at it now and we laugh, but in the moment we were not laughing as we we're trying to get back in the boat. And we were only like 200 yards away from the boat dock. It wasn't like, you know, we had to go four miles on, on the lake to get back to the dock. No, we were like 200 yards. I mean, it's like right there, you can see it. And yet it was really, really a tumultuous, scary time. Maybe that's what it's talking about there in verse 30. But when he saw the wind, Peter was afraid and he began to sink when he began to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. And he said, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat, then the wind died down. And then those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, truly, you are the son of God. And when they had crossed over, they landed at Gennesaret. 
And when the men of that place recognized Jesus, they sent word to all the surrounding country and people brought all of their sick to him and begged him to let the sick just touch the edge of his cloak and all who touched it were healed. Wow. The power of the Son of God. What can we get out of this this passage today? I want to share a few thoughts with you this morning. The first one is this. Many times, little faith or unfaith is the result of wrong expectations. Many times, little faith or unfaith is the result of wrong expectations. You see, Jesus came to the disciples walking on the water in the middle of this windstorm with the waves crashing. Now, if, if you remember this, this isn't the first lake experience that the disciples have had with Jesus. I mean, if you're in your Bible and you're in, in Matthew 14, just turn back to Matthew chapter 8. Matthew chapter 8. So just turn back a few pages. Matthew chapter 8, verse 23. Do you remember this lake experience just, just six chapters before? Listen to this. I'll just read it. It's real short. It says, Then he got into the boat and his disciples followed him. This is Jesus. Suddenly a furious storm came up on the lake. Same lake, by the way. So that the waves swept over the boat. This time the storm is just like the waves are pouring in the boat. But Jesus was sleeping. The disciples went and woke him up saying, Lord, save us. We're going to drown. And he replied, you of little faith, why are you so afraid? And then he got up and he rebuked the winds and the waves and it was completely calm. And the men were amazed and asked, what kind of man is this? Even the winds and the waves obey him. You remember that? story, right? Jesus calming the storm. In some of the other gospel accounts, it it records that Jesus uh, was woken up from his sleep in the boat, and he stood up and he said, peace, be still. Uh, One time I was working with uh, kids in inner city Dallas, and we were telling that story, and we asked the kids what, what their favorite story that we had read that week of VBS was, and one of the little inner city kids said, I like the story where Jesus stood up in the boat and said, whoa, chill out. I was like, well... Okay, yeah, we'll chill out. Peace be still. Yeah, yeah, that'll, that'll, that'll work. Modern, modern, day, modern day translation there. But you remember, they, they've had a lake experience with Jesus before. Something to understand here is about where they're at on the Sea of Galilee. Now, the Sea of Galilee is actually 690 feet below sea level, so picture that in your mind. And to the north, there's Mount Hermon. It rises at 9,200 feet. And it's well known even to this day that in, in from May to October, strong winds and storms often kick up on the backside of those mountains. And they come over the mountain and they go through these channels and they, they go through these gorges and, and they go into the valley toward the lake. And it just works like a jet stream coming off those mountain peaks at 9,200 as the winds come over and they just sweep down. They get in these little, little and they just go blow out on the lake. And it's well known that, that that lake can get choppy. And it can happen quick. You can see nothing on the horizon because the mountain's covering it and on the back Backside, that storm gets on top, and that's what these disciples are dealing with. They're, they're fearful, and they're frustrated, and they're exhausted. They've been rowing into this thing and against this thing for most of the evening and the night, and they're frustrated because the winds and the waves are against them. 
And they're tired, and they thought they'd seen a ghost. And then there's Peter. It says, Lord, if it's really you, because Jesus said, hey, chill out. (laughs) It's me. Don't be afraid. And yet Peter says, oh, all right, Lord, if it's you, tell me to come to you on on the water. I want to walk on water just like you. I mean, pretty neat thing. And Peter gets out of the boat. He starts walking toward Jesus, but the winds and the waves, they don't stop. You see, if Peter's faith is based on the winds being stilled, he has the wrong expectation. And many times, little faith or unfaith is a result of wrong expectations. Jesus calls to Peter in the middle of the windstorm and says, come. Maybe Peter, when he got out of the boat, thought, as soon as I get out of the boat, everything's going to calm down. It'll be like walking on carpet. Right? I'll just, it's like a, it'll just be like walking. But no, the, the wind's still coming and the waves are still crashing and, and, the, and, and the water's blowing around and, and maybe it's even pelting him a little bit. And he starts walking toward Jesus. He's focused on Jesus. He's walking on water. You see, we often, I think sometimes we expect God to stop the storm instead of calling us to faith and obedience in the middle of it. That's what we want. Right? That's what we pray for. And many times it kind of baffles us or it's frustrating to us that God would allow there to be the storm. But sometimes I wonder, if we didn't have the storm, would it require as much trust in him? You see, Peter's faith was enough to get him out of the boat. But it wasn't quite enough to carry him all the way across the water. But notice in our text that it says that Jesus immediately reached out and caught him and brought him up. Jesus did save him, but Peter's faith brought him that far. You see, I believe that faith is strengthened when it's taken to extremes that it has never faced before. And maybe that's the answer to some of the stuff that we're going through in our lives. You know, it's, it's a lot like, uh, like working out. You know, people go to the weight room, right? They go to the gym, they go to the weight room, and they do weight training or resistance training. Maybe you get on one of those machines. And the idea is that if you started tomorrow and you went and got on a machine, you put so much weight on there, is you do maybe three sets of 10. You've done 30 reps. You're like, man, I'm so tired. My arms are burning. I don't think I can do anymore. And then what do you do? You add 10 more pounds and you do one more. And you're like, oh, okay. All right, I could do one more, and then maybe, maybe the next day you do the same thing, and now you're going to add 20 pounds. And you're like, oh, oh, yeah. okay, I think, it, man, can I do one more? Can I do one more set? Can I do five more, you know? And as it goes, if you did that for, say, four weeks in a row, you're going to find that at the end of that four weeks, you're actually putting on more weight. You're able to handle more resistance than you were before, and you'll find out that you're stronger. And that is not possible except what? That there's weight and that there's resistance against you. And just like that is with our muscles in our bodies, it's also, I think, sometimes with our faith. We have to meet the resistance of the world, the resistance of circumstances that are negative. Maybe in this day and age, the resistance of our culture, the resistance of the very world that is moving against God and what God desires, that is going its own way. Many times, little faith or unfaith is a result of wrong 
expectations. And I, I wonder if that's what kept the 11 in the boat. Go ahead, Peter. We'll stay back here where it's safe. And when the waves stop and when the winds quit howling, then, then we'll come join you on the walk of faith on the water. You know, sometimes little faith or unfaith is a result of poor choices that we make. Sometimes I think that little faith or unfaith in God is the result of poor choices. If you think about that, it makes sense. Look at verse 30. It says, but when he saw the wind, there was the shift for Peter, focused on Jesus, focused on the wind. You see, once Peter got out of the boat, he had a choice to make. He could focus on Jesus, or he could focus on the waves, his circumstances. I think it's the lot, uh, that way a lot for us in life. That just like Peter had a choice that he could begin by focusing on Jesus and later focus on something else, this, this is our story, isn't it? I mean, if you claim to be a Christian this morning and you've given your life to Jesus Christ and you've tasted, as we experienced earlier, the, the watery grave of baptism, there was something that drew you to Jesus, and in that time, you were focused on Jesus. You kept your eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith, Scripture says. And you focused on him, and your life revolved around him. And it was amazing because you were in the Word every day, and you prayed every day, and you were in this season of growth, and it was like Jesus was like right there with you. But later, perhaps, you were distracted by the winds and the waves, you see, sometimes we think of these storms like this as bad things, right? It's like it's a medical thing that comes your way. And it could be. Uh, it's, it's when I got into financial ruin. Or that was the waves that were coming my way. Uh, maybe it's when I lost my job and I didn't know what was next. Maybe it's just I lost my way in life and I got in all these, these sticky circumstances and I was dealing with this lawsuit and I was dealing with this and I was dealing with that and... and but, but what if sometimes the distraction and the winds and the waves that come aren't bad things? What if they're good things? What if it's something like this? Because maybe more Christians could relate to this, that you get so ate up with your hobby that you take your eyes off of Jesus. And golf becomes your God. And you're like, man, I'm really good at golf. I hang out with golf. I hang out with people who golf. And I'm always at the course. And it's golf. And then Jesus. And you find yourself sinking because of the distraction of the winds and the waves of your favorite thing, fill in the blank. Maybe for you it's the distraction of hunting or fishing or snow skiing or you're ate up with cars or you're, you know, whatever it is. Maybe it's one of those things that's a distraction, but it started out with Peter with this clear choice. Focus on Jesus and do what he says to do or get focused on the winds and the waves that surround, and we saw the end result of that choice. Because sometimes little faith or unfaith is a result of poor choices. In verse 30, it says, but when he saw the wind, when he saw the wind, he was afraid. If he didn't see the wind before, maybe there was not as much fear. It's when he saw the wind, he was afraid, and he began to sink. And he cried out, Lord, save me. And I love verse 31. Immediately when he cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. When it says that, I always, like, what does that look like? He caught him. Did Jesus, like, reach out his hand and just rip him up right out of the water? And, and, and it says that they were going back toward the boat now. 
Did Jesus take it? Did, did Jesus hold his hand? Did, did, did Jesus put his arm around his waist and kind of carry him like, did Jesus maybe pick Peter up like this and carry him back to the boat? We don't really know, but we know that Jesus immediately, he reached out his hand, he caught him in some way and said, you of little faith, why did you doubt? Jesus knew he got distracted and he made a choice to focus on some things other than Jesus. And then after they are safely in the boat, we record that it is only then that the circumstances changed, after the event, after they were already in the boat. Look at verse 32. It says, and when they climbed into the boat, then the wind died down. That's when the wind died down. Sometimes little faith or unfaith is a result of poor choices. Last thing I want to share with you today is that authentic faith is a faith that is relied on. Authentic faith, genuine faith, real faith in Jesus Christ is a faith that is relied on. That's what happens when we trust Jesus and we put our hope in Jesus and we put our faith in Jesus. Immediately, Jesus reaches out his hand and catches us and says, you of little faith, why did you doubt me? Stay focused on me. He's telling Peter, the same faith that got you out of the boat, that got you walking on the water, is the same faith that's going to keep you up on the water when the storms in life come. And it's going to get you safely back to the boat. What's amazing is the disciples' response here. And the reason that I read Matthew chapter 8 earlier is I want you to see the contrast of the response. In, in, in that one, their response to Jesus' miracle of calming the storm in the boat was, who is this man? Even the winds and the waves obey him. But what is their response here in verse 33 of our passage? Listen to this. And then though, so, so Peter's been saved. He's been brought up. Jesus has brought him, has caught him, brought him back to the boat. And then in verse 33, it says, and then those who are in the boat worshiped him, worshiped Jesus saying, what this time? Truly, you are the son of God. That's the first time that they acknowledge and confess Christ as the son of God. And you think by the middle of Matthew's gospel, chapter 14, that they might've had it down already. They might have had it figured out. I mean, there's a lot of miracles. There's a lot of stories. There's a lot of power here. He even just fed 5,000. But it was in this moment that they worshiped him. Worshiped him for the first time. And they said, truly, you are the son of God. They unequivocally declared Jesus God's son, their savior and their Lord. They, they did not say, surely you are the wind calmer. Surely you are the, circum the circumstance changer. Sure, surely you are the one that will just make my life better. No, they said, you're the, you're the son of God, God Almighty. The heavenly father is your father. And what the disciples learned that day, the disciples learned that even in the midst of, of winds and waves, 
they could trust Jesus. Even when the storm was still raging, when Peter went, and then Peter fell, and then Peter reached out, he learned that even in the midst of that, he could trust Jesus. And I think that Peter and all the disciples learned that though Jesus didn't calm their storm immediately, he remained their God through it. And I think that's part of the challenge for us as Christians today. Are we going to be faithful? Are we going to remain faithful through it? When we began this series, and I was talking about the spies and going into the land of Canaan, we talked that first week about how it starts with faith. We put our faith in someone or something. And if you're saying, well, I'm outside of Christ right now, I don't put my faith in Jesus, I'm not sure I buy this or whatever. You put your faith in something, maybe you put your faith in yourself. Hey, I'm a self-made man, I handle it, you know. Some of you put faith in your doctor. Put your faith in your bank account, your IRA, your 401k, your pension plan. Some of you put your faith in another person in this world. But you're going to put your faith somewhere. And when you put your faith in something, you begin to trust, right? Put your faith in, and now, because I have faith, I'm going to have trust. And then that trust leads you to what? Leads you to hope in that. Now, all my hope's in that. I hope it's not in money. hope it's not in the stock market. hope it's not in anything else in this world. hope it's not in that my life has to be good and perfect. I'm never going to have anything come against me in life. No. Don't put your faith, your trust, and your hope in that. You put your faith in Christ. And then you begin to trust Christ. And then you begin to hope in Christ, which leads to submission to Jesus Christ, that you're actually going to obey him because he becomes not only your Savior, but he becomes your Lord. And I think that the disciples learned that day that even though Jesus didn't calm the storm immediately, he was their God through it. But here's the bottom line this morning. I wonder if they realize this, and maybe you've realized this too, you may have come to this realization that like Peter, you may realize like Peter that you're actually safer when you're out of the boat with Jesus than when you're in the boat without him. Because think of the other 11. I mean, Peter kind of sometimes gets a bad rap here, doesn't he? Peter. Come on, Peter. Peter is later going to deny he even knows Jesus. Peter gets out of the boat and falls and sinks. Peter denies Jesus three times before the rooster crows. Jesus has to come to him after the resurrection to restore him. Peter. Peter, in the Garden of Gethsemane, draws a sword when they're about to arrest Jesus. And he cuts off one of the guard's ears. And Jesus has to do another miracle, has to restore the guy's ear back on. Peter. And Peter sometimes gets a bad rap. Look at Peter, he's a denier. Look at Peter, he just got out of the boat and he sank. But there were 11 guys back in the boat that were playing it safe. What were they waiting on? See if the water gets calmer before I step out in faith. See if everything gets easier before God calls me to do something for him. And then we get to Acts chapter 2 and you start looking at the early church. And who is it in Acts chapter 2 
that for the first time preaches a message. And at the end of Acts chapter two, it says 3,000 people were baptized into Christ Jesus that day. Guess who? Peter. Peter the failure, Peter the denier, Peter the one that stepped out in faith and sunk because he doubted. That guy, Jesus used that guy. Because it wasn't about perfect. It wasn't about being good. It wasn't about being just perfect. It was about surrendering to Jesus. And after all that Peter had went through in life with Jesus, I think you get to Acts chapter two and beyond in the book of Acts, when they're threatening Peter, hey, quit speaking in the name or we're gonna kill you. Hey, beat him with rods, beat him with whips, throw him in jail. What does he do? Baptize jailers. I mean, who is this guy? Peter. Peter found Jesus. Peter loved Jesus. And isn't it interesting that it's, maybe you see Peter become stronger when what? After Jesus has resurrected and gone to heaven, Peter does some of his best work in what? Faith. Faith through the trials. Faith that had to be trusted and relied upon. Faith that he put his trust in, that he could put his hope in, and then he submits his life to God, and you see amazing things all from this guy that that had the faith to get out of a boat and to be moving toward Jesus. And if you're outside of Christ this morning, maybe this is the first time you've ever been in church. Maybe it's the first time in a long time, you know, I haven't been in church. Maybe, maybe this morning that you've been to church every week, but you haven't put your faith in Jesus Christ. I want to encourage you, as soon as this service is over, there's going to be some elders and some of our staff right down here. Don't leave this place without coming down front and talking to one of them about your relationship with Jesus Christ. Because in the end of life in this world, that's all that matters. Do you know Jesus? Do you put your faith in Jesus? Do you trust Jesus? And I know some of you are in the storm right now. You're like, but you don't know what I'm going through right now. Because the wind's blowing and the waves are coming and I'm taking like a baby step toward Jesus. But I feel like I'm about to fall. What happened in the story? He cries out, Lord, save me. And Jesus says, I got you right here. I'm going to be your God through it all. I know the waves are still coming. The wind's still blowing. It's hard. I don't promise to calm it, but I promise to get you through it. And you and me, we get through a lot, even into heaven.